Hey guys, Ashton Gustafson here and welcome back to another episode. Super thrilled and excited today to bring bring back to the show Miles Adcox. He's the CEO of Onsite and uh, just a beautiful soul. I, I love the way this guy navigates and leads his life. I love the way he leads uh, his team there at Onsite. And um, every time I see him put content into the world uh, and just share what he's doing, uh, he's a guy I look up to. And so that being said, I just wanted to uh, welcome him back. Miles, welcome back to the show. I'm glad to be here, Ashton. It's good to, good to talk to you again. Thanks for having me back. You bet, man. Life's been busy. You've been, uh, you got married and we got a new baby here, Maverick. Tell, tell me about what's been going on. <laughs> man, what a year. I, I tell you, I, just hearing when you say his name, I almost get emotional. I yes. feel, um, uh, an older first time new dad and all the uh, excitement, exhaustion, emotion that comes with it. It's just a, it's a, it's a beautiful thing. It's something that I've dreamed about and, and, and worked hard to, to get here. And, and here we are. And it's uh, seven, seven weeks in, I think this week, wow. you'll be seven, wow. seven weeks. In. Unbelievable. What, what's been the most unexpected, beautiful thing that that's crossed your path in this new journey? my capacity for intimate, deep connection. Hmm. I, I just, people a lot of times because I run around and, and talk about connection and intimacy and relationships assume that I'm just this deep well and, and I'm really good at it. And the truth hmm. is, is there, uh, there are moments that uh, I would say that fits. And then there's a lot of other moments where I struggle with it just like everybody else and, and question my ability to sit in the presence of uh, this love and intimacy and connection. And there has been nothing that has turned that theory upside down than looking into the eyes of my newborn baby son. Wow. wow. So I just, uh, it just, it gives me chills. It quiets my mind. It puts my feet on the ground. There's really been nothing quite like it. I do think, a lot of the hard work that I did in my personal uh, journey has uh, gotten me to a place. But I also think some of it's just our innate, you know, God-given ability to to do things that surprise us when we're awake to notice them. And, mm. and that's certainly been one that I've been proud of. Yeah, yeah. So you've definitely come to come to know and understand presence in a whole new way. <laughs> yeah, that's putting it. We start out the mornings together, and I'm so grateful that I. I've had the flexibility and the opportunity to do that. And I'll tell you, um, I've learned a lot, you know, from, because I was asking questions like, okay, well, how, how much time did dads take? You know, what does paternity leave look like? And we've got our traditional policy here at my company. And, and I, I can tell you it's, it's going to get changed because I, I, I took uh, a month and I did pretty good the first two and a half weeks. And then I kind of slipped back into a few work things but I really did get the most value out of taking four solid weeks, and I could have taken six, to wow. be honest. Wow. I, I don't. I think dads in our country uh, don't get enough time, and I think that original time is so important. And there's no way I could have known it without living it. But getting to start out every day with him, so mom really does the lion's share of the work uh, throughout the evening and night, and then I take him and let her sleep for about three hours, and we kind of. He just lays on my chest in my in my robe like a little kangaroo in my pouch. <laughs> we just hang out and he sleeps and it's awesome. Wow. So going through that has has that that's led you to a whole new set of questions for 
you know, your team there at onside? Well, yeah, I think it's just, you know, we've always tried to be progressive uh, as a uh, culture when it comes to if we're going to be a team that tries to deliver, you know, content around um, building a whole human and connection and authenticity and vulnerability, then we need to practice what we preach and weave it into our culture. And I've noticed that setting the intent is not uh, good enough in order for it to be executed. You have to uh, set the intent, and then you need to be strategic and facilitate it into the process. If you don't, then people are going to be people and get caught up and intend to put work uh, over life. And we hope to be an organization that promotes uh, life before work. Wow. Wow. Beautiful. I love that. Um, now you talk about integration and the whole person and vulnerability and story. Um, I know some of our listeners maybe have never crossed paths with you and or onsite. Uh, before we get into the nitty gritty of the conversation today, um, you want to share with us just kind of a, uh, a bird's eye view elevator speech of the beauty that you guys are doing there uh, and putting into the world at onsite? I'd be happy to, yeah. I'm so bad at at this part. I usually (laughs) take way too long or way too uh, short of a moment to try to explain what onsite is. I've had a lot of really really smart branding friends that say, you need an elevator pitch. And I'm always (laughs) like, well, I've never bought anything in an elevator. No plan to. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Anyway, so, uh, yeah, but uh, thanks for asking. Onsite. We're, we're an emotional wellness lifestyle brand, and we offer a lot of arms to help people become emotionally healthy and get emotionally fit. And that comes by way of short-term intensive therapeutic workshops that are for anybody and everybody that may be feeling stuck uh, in any area of their life um, or just want to do a deeper dive and trying to reconcile and resolve parts of their stories, uh, raise their EQ, Uh, become a better leader, a better parent, a better human, all those things. We've got a series of workshops that support that path. We also have um, a long-term emotional treatment option that will help people who have experienced kind of adverse conditions of life at some point by way of emotional trauma uh, and and may manifest into depression, anxiety, or some mild uh, mental health conditions that uh, way more people are walking around with in our culture than you would ever know. And so we have a, a, a small program that supports that, and that's a longer-term stay. And then we're developing some other stuff. We're developing some online content, and um, that will be more available for people who won't be able to come and, and actually do a workshop or, or do the treatment. So Beautiful. That's us. Beautiful. And so, for you know, you mentioned um, some of these stays uh, when people come and visit you guys. What's what's a standard, you know, what's a routine stay look like? I know some of you said some of them are longer than others. Are these weekend by the week? What's it look like uh, if someone goes online? Anywhere the, yeah, so the workshops are anywhere from uh, four days to seven days. So it depends on the program. We're running a whole variety of different programs throughout the year all different lengths of stay. And so you basically, the best way is to, uh, you can you can look online and see the variety of different programs. A lot of them are therapeutic in nature. Some of them are more personal growth in nature. It's a great way that if you're into the counseling, the therapy, um, 
or, or you find yourself in need of it or you just enjoy it, it's, it's a great way for really busy people, they're really creative people, to do um, an accelerated course, if you will. It's almost like doing six months or a year's worth of outpatient therapy in a week. Wow. So it, it works pretty well that way. Beautiful. So um, one of the things that you've kind of posted recently, and I know you're still working through it, but I thought it would be a great conversation for uh, our listeners to hear today, is kind of this thing that you refer to as the artist dilemma. And there's tons of creatives that listen to the podcast, artists, musicians, pastors, uh, idea leaders, uh, thought leaders, and so forth. Um, I want to just kind of walk through this because I feel like um, sometimes our creativity, we can get stymied in it a bit. And, and the life that we get on the road or we it just things get out of whack in a hurry uh, once you go down this road. Um, so the artist dilemma, you basically just kind of started out by saying that this abnormal life uh, and these abnormal circumstances end up creating high levels of stress. Now, you've talked with and, and worked with tons of artists, thought leaders, creatives, and so forth. Um, when you talk about this abnormal life that leads to stress, exactly what are you talking about when you begin that conversation? Yeah, I think artists or creatives or anybody who's trying to deliver you know, a message, you really need a platform to do that. And so whether you're going to try to move or sell or influence with your art or your message, then you need a platform. And platforms, you know, in, 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 in that world, the bigger the better off, often if you're going for influence. Not always, but if you're going for influence, if you're trying to make a living out of it, then the bigger the better. Well, a big platform means that you have a public profession. And what we know about public professions is that they, and it doesn't, you know, pastors, uh, politicians, uh, media, film, music, public professions, they create abnormalized circumstances. And what I mean by abnormal is, you can say fame, uh, people who are known and who uh, feel like they are friends to thousands, but there's no way any one human being would have the capacity, you know, to stretch themselves yeah. in that way. Uh, take on a lot of stress and unaddressed stress creates loneliness, anxiety, addictions, etc. Part of what, part of why I talk, so, so you take the, what I wrote, this kind of roadmap for the artist called the artist dilemma. And I went for years working with artists who I would see, it was a very predictable crash, hmm. especially when uh, artists would reach a certain point of success or pastors, you know, plugging in, it, it was almost as predictable of a crash as a lottery winner. Uh, and you've seen this, a lot of people seen the statistics on lottery winners as you go from, most cases, you go from a low socioeconomic standpoint, you crash through the middle and go straight to the top. And it's very predictable that you'll be back at the bottom uh, pretty soon. And the same, I was seeing the same pattern with artists. But if you come to, come at an artist by saying, you know, you're in a career that is susceptible to addictions and anxiety and mental health issues, then it's about as effective as the Surgeon General's warning, which <laughs> it's not going to make somebody smoke or not smoke. Yeah. Well, I, I 
tried to come through another door. I, when I and this started by me sitting in a circle with six uh, artists, six singers who were doing quite well, but struggling with the work-life balance and the demands of being on the road. And I thought, how do I describe it and why we're here? Kind of what's at stake? Because human beings, I don't think any of us are really wired uh, to self-protect from addiction and mental health issues. Yeah. We, we typically don't want to explore it until we have to. But something a little more digestible is creativity. And so creativity was an important piece of this. And it was actually, I built the whole thing around that word because mm -hmm. I thought creativity is what gets an artist to the dance. It's, it's their kryptonite. Yeah. It's, what, it's what they love. And so the way it reads is public professions create abnormal life circumstances. Abnormal life circumstances create high levels of stress. Unaddressed stress creates loneliness, anxiety, depression, addiction, et cetera, all of which kill creativity. Mm. So basically, your creativity got you here, and you signed up for a career that in some ways is designed to kill it. That got their attention, and it helped me. <laughs> yeah. just, because, you know, it's, it's more digestible. It's like, wait a minute. Yeah. That's something of value. The That's thing you love, gift. the thing that got you here. Yeah. And people are more likely to protect something like that. Mm. So and it's um, actually not that. Go ahead. Well, yeah. So where I was, I was gonna kind of riff on that is at, at some point when you try to start scaling these things, you you eventually lose yourself. And and what you're trying to argue and bring into the mix is that you can scale impact or or however you want to phrase that without you know requiring you to lose yourself. There are there are practices. There are um, uh, I don't know if it's roadmaps, but there are definitely things that you can mark along the way that can create self-awareness to where in the end you don't lose that impact, that creativity that you're wanting to bring to the world. You actually can retain uh, yourself, your energies, uh, your health, and so forth, and put it back into the world. Yeah, that's it. Because I think there's this myth that your creativity is something outside of you, when it actually is you and that's what people are interested in hmm. they're interested in you and your most authentic and whole connected self and often we put people around artists who are experts in how you reframe reshape brand distribute the art and it's so easy to get lost because they're basically trying to tell this story that appeals to the most amount of people, and sometimes they're going to push them towards telling it in a overtly, you know, especially for a lot of female artists, in a sexual way. They'll try to hypersexualize the content, and the art sometimes gets lost, and that's when the self gets lost. Well, wow. well. Wow. So in all of your work, um, hundreds if not thousands of people in the creative space, what are some of the things... Um, that we can do as we create lives that put creativity into the world, put content into the world? Um, what are some of the things that we can do to stay in that path of self-awareness? Like, is there anything you can say that consistently, if people will do X, they will remain more self-aware, and in the end, that creativity uh, will stay in tune and... Um, the life they lead, I guess, will be sustainable. 
Yes, there's. However, there's not a there's not one particular method that mm-hmm. I would say this is the one. Right. No different than the pharmaceutical industry that never solves the whole problem, yeah. but it's helpful. Yeah. Ultimately, it's 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 creating a healthy pursuit of self awareness, of grace, of empathy on ourselves, where we've been, who we are, and who we're becoming. There's a lot of different ways to get there. You know, you can use counseling or therapy. It's it's really unfortunate that counseling and therapy is still seen as somewhere in something you do and go when you need it, when mm-hmm. things are broken. Right. And I think it, we've got it backwards. I think it's something we need to do at every phase of our life, not when we perceivably need it. It's basically how do we get a deeper understanding of ourselves because what I've experienced in my personal life and in facilitating a lot of this is when we have a deeper understanding of ourselves facilitated in the right way, it holds up this beautiful mirror where we see brokenness completely different. Mm. And it humanizes each of us where we can actually look through a lens of grace. And grace to me is is the doorway to self-awareness. Looked at in a healthy way. So self-awareness grace and empathy. Tell me what you mean in a difference between grace and empathy that's there. Or is there? Or are they very similar? I think they're similar. Yeah. You know, I think we're going to get to a place in our culture where people who don't pursue a deeper understanding of themselves who counseling or therapy or coaching or just you know, peer-to-peer transparency will be viewed as the broken ones or what's wrong with them versus the other way around. I really think we're headed that way to where it's, you know, I think uh, it's going to be viewed as what's wrong with you if you're not doing this. <laughs> yeah. And that's that's my hope. I think that's when the game changes. That I think we, we wrap a lot of support around the artist and I'll just I'll use music for example so you've got a music artist and then they have all these people around them that get a percentage from the agent to the label and then the ancillary services like the uh, legal the business manager the publicist so they basically got an artist in the middle and then you got all these spokes of people who get a percentage of the revenue that they make there's nobody in there that supports their mental health well wow. And I think, I think we're missing it. I think we're we're setting it up wrong to begin with. And I think we need that in the mix out of the gate before the wheels fall off. Absolutely. And you you called it that self awareness is the artist's superpower. Um, walk with me on that. Like what in what you've seen? What is a shift that you've seen in artists that have woken up from the slumber? that have integrated, that have walked through those doorways of grace and empathy. Um, do these? Do you find these people to be lighter and brighter? Do you find these people, um, what, what's, you know, what do you see in someone when they start walking through those doors? You know, n- not necessarily. I don't necessarily see them lighter and brighter. I see them able to cope differently. Interesting. Because there is this beautiful dark and light to the artist. Yeah. And artists have a difficult job, but they're highly sensitive, and they 
they are put in a position, in a sense, to translate the world for the rest of us through their art, mm. and then, which means they have to have a certain level of awareness and sensitivity to take on the world's pain and then you know, spit out this beautiful way to, to, to tell everybody else about it. And that puts you in a compromising position. And a lot of artists are like, I don't want to go to rehab. I don't want to go get therapy because I won't be able to write anymore. I won't be able to come up with this. I, in other words, I need my, and you don't really lose it. You don't, it's not about changing something. But taking a look at who you are is not what's wrong with you. It's what's, it's what's right with you. And we want all those parts on board. I mean, I, I am somebody who struggled with depression throughout my life. And it, it doesn't go away. It just I view it differently, and I have tools and I have coping mechanisms to where it doesn't take me too far down a road where it gets it creates negative uh, behaviors. Wow, wow. So I, I I had never thought before about the would you say the responsibility that an artist feels sometimes to to see that pain and then report back on it. I mean, that's a, I, I had never thought about that dark side. You just think of the beautiful side of one's artistry and how they put it into the world and meaning and metaphor and all the beautiful side of that. But there is this, there is this other side of the story um, that can be a, a challenging and sometimes dark place to walk through. Yeah, you feel it on a much, a much different level. Yeah. And that's why often... You see um, the artist community, you know, whether it's actors or uh, musicians, the outspoken advocates for the compromised, the underdogs, uh, people in the community that don't have access to what the rest of us do, and and they get kind of labeled as, oh, well, this is the liberal, blah blah blah. But really, it's I think they feel things on a very deep level mm-hmm. and and try to use their voice to advocate. Now, let me ask you this. In, in a world where I think the, the word art and artist is beautifully shifting, um, I, I think that we are now starting to see artistry through the lens of CEOs, business leaders, um, business upstarts, pastors. Like, it isn't just creativity, isn't just a world that is um, saved for the poets and the sages and the artist, right? I, I, I'm starting to see this also come to fruition, that there's there's now space for artistry to be called artistry in the midst of almost everything. Um, and so how would you encourage people that maybe their life isn't in the public eye, um, but they're feeling some of these same things, whether it's running a business, maybe you could speak from this, um, the tax on moving a company forward, on uh, keeping the culture consistent. As a leader, let's just pause the conversation on artists for a bit. Um, leaders that come and visit you that may be tinkering on the edge of burnout. Um, what are some of those first steps for uh, leaders in that form to start walking through the doors of grace, empathy, and self-awareness as well? The first thing we might try to do with someone who is on the, as you said, on the edge of burnout is remove resistance to looking at their truth. And removing resistance 
the way we've done it historically or the way most people do it is you meet resistance with resistance. So in other words, you try to challenge somebody's denial system and push on it or pull on it to try to remove it. What we've learned about that is that does not create sustainable change. That's manipulation. Mm-hmm. But it is a tool that it's all we ever knew was that uh, confrontation is the best change tool. And it does work, but it works temporarily because it's, it's, it's an external motivator instead of an internal motivator. And what we hope to do is internally inspire people to, to change and to speak their truth because when they – so in other words, we don't meet resistance with resistance. We meet resistance with connection and understanding and empathy. But we join people wherever they are. So they're, if they're somewhere along the stages of change, let's say they're in pre-contemplative, well, we join them in pre-contemplative, which means as facilitators we have to leave our perch of action, uh, our agenda, and move back and join them you know, in their darkness. Mm-hmm. And the only way I've seen people be effective at joining people in their darkness is if they've taken the own, their own long journey back into their own darkness. You don't help people effectively reconcile their stories until you've done some work in reconciling your own. Yeah, yeah, that's very true. Um, walk with me down that road of re- resisting our truth. Because, um, man, I, I f- feel like I've been there, done that. Um, tell me what you mean when a leader is on the brink of change or burnout and isn't willing to press into that truth. What do you mean by resisting one's truth? So if you were to, we'll we'll go with me. So you were to take my leadership team or any of the staff and do a 360 without me there, ask them, uh, you'll never know what you're going to say, but I want to know what you see chances are they're going to see and point out things about some blind spots that I have as a leader and some shortcomings that they may not fully be transparent if I were the one asking the question. So walk in, if you you really want to know uh, how safe of a culture you've created, walk into your team and say, tell me the truth about what you're seeing, what am I missing? And see if they have the courage to tell you. But I think... Most leaders don't have those kind of people around them where they will – the capacity that we take on when you're leading small, medium, or big companies, you don't often have time to explore all the shadows. Yeah. Yeah. But without a, without exploration of the shadows, then the darkness will definitely catch up with you. And you'll end up creating this denial system so really it's, okay, so how do we turn resistance into um, acceptance? It's reframe what feels like a threat is actually an opportunity. Hmm. And I, when, when leaders make that, that shift and they become soft and empathetic on where they may be dropping the ball, then suddenly the walls go down and they become really open and curious about, huh, that is not only interesting, but it's also interesting. I don't have to change my core in order to change certain things to improve as a human being and as a leader. So when the, I, I guess what you're saying is when integration happens in that sense and we are 
you know, aware of the paradox of the light and the shadows that um, eventually your narrative begins to change a little bit from comparison critique into more of integration connection. Like I think what you're, what you're really getting to for both the artist and the leader, however we want to come at this is new eyes to see um, a, a way that doesn't look for a battle, but looks for ways to heal both themselves and the world at large and the business and, and, and whatever else they've been entrusted. Is that what you're, kind of new eyes. Is that the direction you're taking us? Yeah, I think, <clears throat> I think so. And, and really it's how you perceive feedback. So if, if I get as excited now about somebody on my team pointing out where I may have avoided a, com- a conversation because they know I'm conflict avoidant and they know, they know that I know that I can be conflict avoidant. Mm. Well, and that doesn't define me as a leader because you'd be there's no way I couldn't lean into conflict and run an organization our size. I have to do it every day. But my natural disposition is known within my leadership team. Therefore, it becomes an opportunity not to be held accountable and to look through the lens of, oh, my gosh, you know, the shame lens. It's uh, what a gift that the people around me can point out in a loving way uh, and give me some encouragement about how I need to step into something a little different. I think that begins to shift the paradigm or creates the new eyes that you describe. Well, well, and the sense of uh, security and safety that the people you you've been entrusted also feel when that uh, when you've reached that point of vulnerability and saying, "Hey, I, I'm not showing up here saying I got it figured out. I'm uh, I'm willing for you guys to help me with my blind spots." That's a that's a big big place for a leader to lead from. Well, and then even even when it doesn't feel good. So let's say somebody yeah. uh, is seeing or sensing something that doesn't fit, and therefore my resistance comes up, and I get I get frustrated or angry or resistant. That I can pause in that moment. That I don't have to jump into yeah yeah you know it's a great point or um, or defend it, but that I can just pause and be curious enough and have done enough of my own shame work. That it, it again, it doesn't pose a threat, even if it doesn't fit. Yeah. There's still an opportunity because somebody's pointing something out because they care enough about you to try to support you. I always thought early on in trying to build trust from the inside out with the organization or culture that if they see my blind spots or know my weaknesses, then in their mind they're going to start to begin to feel like I can't lead them. Hmm. And it actually turned out to be just the opposite. Wow. And I've seen that over and over and over again, that, that um, leaders who are scared of vulnerability, authenticity, and hard truth begin to break down trust faster than anybody else. Wow. And they can carry it for a while on personality and intellect and, and yeah. make good decisions, but yeah. ultimately it starts to break the team around them down. So is, I guess when that moment hits, and whether it's, challenge, conflict, whatever it may be, and you have this this potential to resist, when you pause, when you take that moment and you enter into it, would you say that is when you, personality, soul, however you want to phrase that, that's the transformational process? Like instead of meeting that resistance with, with fight or battle uh, mentalities, 
when you pause long enough to go, okay, I'm going to enter into this and see what can happen for us and, and how we can heal here or move together uh, wholly, would you say that that's really, that's the magical point of transformation for the artist, the leader, you name it? Like, it seems to me like you either fight or you enter into where's this going to take me and how can I be transformed? I think it's, yes, I do think it's the magic moment, but I think it's the starting point. Mm-hmm. And because it awareness alone doesn't always create change. It just creates opportunity for me to do something about it. And that's one of the reasons why we kind of try to unconsciously stay away from awareness, because the less we know, the less we have to change. Oh, that's a good word. Unfortunately, that's a good word. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, it's true. That's very true. Yeah, you, then, then you, you don't have to be accountable to, to doing anything different. It happened to me two days ago. So I like things together, and I like things clean, you know, in my environment, but I also have a tendency uh, when I'm tired or not paying attention just to leave things everywhere. And I didn't realize to the extent to which I do that and to the extent to which my wife often comes around behind me and picks it up. <laughs> but now she's a full-time mom, and uh, so we got in an argument two days ago. We were driving somewhere, going to a friend's house, and we got in an argument, and it ended up being more about it got personal really fast. It went from nothing about what it was into challenging how we were as each other as parents. And that's mm-hmm. when you know, okay, mm-hmm. there's something deeper here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, she's yeah. as a dad and, doing, and, of course, I get threatened by that. I'm like, wait a minute. Well, once we uh, got on the other side of the, the argument, uh, we realized that it was something as simple as I had gotten a, a couple of guests in boxes and I opened them up and left them all over the living room. And she just, she wanted, that's a sign to her that I care if I will pick some things up. And I was actually really happy when we discovered that. She said, you know what? It has nothing to do with you being a good dad. It has nothing to do with you being present. You've been amazing. I just wish you'd help me and pick some stuff up, put this in the dishwasher. Okay, well, there's the moment. That's yep. the moment of awareness. Yep. That it's not, I'm not bad. She's not bad. There's this one thing. And I was, so my, temporarily I was like, boom, I'm excited. We know what it is. But then I was like, now I've got to do something about it. Yeah, right. <laughs> The accountability comes in, and I wake up, and I was like, no, I actually have to do things that I wasn't accustomed to doing, which is I didn't even realize it, but I need, I never need to put a sink in the, in the, uh, a dish in the sink without putting it in the dishwasher. So in the last two days, you know, I've taken responsibility and been helping clean and, and do a lot of stuff, and it, it made a huge change. That little shift of getting to the yeah. thing underneath the thing. Well, but then, but it's like what we said. It's awareness creates almost a self accountability to have to do something about it, yeah, or yeah. not. Yeah, which you know, once you see, you can't unsee, and if you don't do something about it, then then that's a whole nother problem. Um, right. But for you to take that responsibility uh, was a shifter. Wow. Well, man, um, and you guys, for for our listeners that are listening to this conversation. Uh, Every time I cross paths with Miles' work uh, online, it's it's one aha after another. I've never been to onsite. I want to come to onsite. I want to spend some time there. Uh, I just feel like uh, everyone that I know that has gone has just had incredible 
reviews about the people there, the work that happens, um, the spirit that you leave with, the spirit that you're met with that's there. Um, and so if anything today has triggered something deep within you or sounds like something that you would like more information on, um, you got to go check it out. Miles, for those of us that are maybe wanting to come hear more about you guys and what you're doing, would, would you send us online uh, to Onsite's website or where's the best place to go? Yeah, I think uh, online uh, is the best place to find us. You could also follow us on our socials, uh, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, or, or I have my socials, Twitter, Instagram, that's where I put a lot of my content. But yeah, any of those places would be a great way for us to connect with you. Awesome. Uh, so like I said, guys, make sure you check out what they're doing. Um, Miles, super grateful for you and your energy uh, and your work in the world. I know that um, you and your team are doing beautiful things out there, and we're always grateful to experience your wisdom and uh, apply it into the worlds we've been entrusted. Thanks, Ashton. I appreciate the platform that, that you're putting your intention behind and creating. It's, it always is a value to me, too. When we talk, we always have deep conversations, and, and we don't always arrive at a solution, which I like. There's not many people <laughs> I have the flexibility to, to do that with that don't want an answer, but that are okay kind of swimming in a problem, and you do that really well. Oh, well, thank you. Well, hey, man, let's just keep doing it. Let's keep swimming in those questions. In the end, I think they are our answers, right? Yeah. 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 All right, my friend. We'll talk soon. All the best to you guys. All right. Take care. Thanks, Ashley. Hey, before we go, would you guys please go to iTunes? Uh, we'd love for you to leave us a review. Our goal here at Good, True, and Beautiful is to get these conversations in as many hands as we can as possible. And by you leaving a review, you will be doing your little part in helping get the word out about what we're doing here at Good, True, and Beautiful. Until next time. <laughs>